Okay, it's recording. Okay, so lots of energy. Do it. <laughs> hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Here's your guest host and my daughter, Tracy Hunt. Let's start the show. Hey, friends and soon-to-be new friends. I'm Tracy Hunt. And I want to thank my mom, Monica Hunt, for introducing me. I'm your guest host for the next few weeks, and I'm so excited to be here. So last week, over a plate of prosciutto and fresh mozzarella, I asked a friend if she was listening to any new music. So we started talking about Beyonce, obviously, and then shifted to Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B. Whether it's getting ready for a big interview or a night out dancing, nothing gets me more hype than Meg's freak nasty. But my friend told me she was becoming a little disenchanted with these artists. She wanted to know why all the music had to be like that. Songs about sex, money, and basically talking about how hot and amazing you are. At her age, in this economy, what on earth does this music have to do with her? This is one of the themes on Issa Rae's new HBO show, Rap It follows two female rappers in Miami. And on the show, they confront questions like, what should they be rapping about? And who are they performing for? My art is not for the male gaze. Girl, what the gays got to do with it? No, like, male gaze, like... Patriarchy And a warning to listeners, we're going to talk frankly about sex and women's sexuality in this segment. And you might hear a few more bleeped curse words than usual. I mean, there's a swear word right there in the name of the show. To dive more into rap and what it's like for women trying to break into hip hop and what we expect from them, I talked to culture and music journalist Naima Cochran. She knows all about that struggle. She spent years working in the industry as a marketing executive. I was on Usher's 8701 project, Pink's Misunderstood, Outkast, Stankonia, to John Legend, I Broke the All of Me record, Beyonce's Four album, Maxwell's Black Summer's Night. So you're uniquely the perfect person to talk to about this stuff with, okay? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the show is about two young women in Miami, Shauna and Mia. And who were friends in high school. They recently reconnect, decide to start a rap group. Can you tell me like your first impressions of the show and what you like or maybe didn't like about it? My first impression was that it was fun. Um, but also that it was realistic. Oh, okay, yeah. I mentioned to a friend that I was happy that we're at a state in hip-hop again where a show about two women trying to get on um, is feasible and possible. Right. And, yeah. and not only that, but based on, loosely based on two actual women who are rappers, right? Yeah, um, the City the Girls, The City Girls, right? yeah, Carisha and JT, who are also executive producers, which I love. Yeah, yeah. I think 10 years ago, there was a lot of debate about, you know, who's the queen of rap? Right. <laughs> and there only seemed to be like one in the spotlight, mm-hmm. you know, Mickey or Lil' Kim or, you know, whatever. So what changed so that we have so much more room for female rappers to dominate the chart? I've been trying to figure that out for the longest. (laughs) We really went through 10 years with just really one female rapper who was hitting crossover airplay. And that's 
Nikki had that yeah, I'm rain or whatever. I'm yeah. baffled about it to this day. Um, I think what might have happened first and foremost was that women in hip hop usually came out of crews. There was usually a male producer behind them, like Rod mm-hmm. Digga coming out of Flip Mode, Kim coming out of Junior Mafia, Foxy kind of initially being co-signed by Jay, then by Nas, and the whole firm mm-hmm. situation. Even Light was kind of put on, who was the first female rapper to put out a full album, mm-hmm. was put on by um, Schoolie D and Milk. So I think one of the things that happened was Nicki was part of one of the last hip-hop crews. We don't have them anymore. Um, Young Mm -hmm. Money is one of the last crews. So I think for a minute there was just this thought that women couldn't break unless a man co-signed them. And Cardi, through very unconventional means, a combination of social media and then reality TV, and then just having a fire song catch on... was the first woman we'd seen in a very long time who came out on her own strength, yes. not part of a crew, not co-signed by some established male artist, none of that, just on her own. And I honestly think that blew the gates wide open for other women because the other thing is Nikki didn't collaborate with other women in hip-hop. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that could have been helpful. I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, you know, make a judgment call about it because I don't know the reasoning. But she didn't. The fact is that she didn't. Yeah. Cardi yeah. did, and Cardi would show love, give shout outs, um, etc. And now, if you look at, you know, we got Cardi, we got Meg, we got City Girls, we have a whole bevy of artists popping in Texas. We got, you know, new folks coming out of New York. We got, I mean, Rhapsody was around already, even though she's considered, like, maybe a little more niche because she's conscious. Emit like rap or emit teal. I drew a line without showing my body, that's a skill. Bad to the bone and the grill. You be dead wrong if looks kill. I'm still on my spiel in the spirit of L Hill. But, you know, there's there's an array now. So I'm thrilled to see, you know, that we have enough women now so that, yeah, we can do a show about women trying to get on and nobody's like, oh, this is unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the main conflict of the show is between um, Shauna and Mia. Like Shauna's lyrics are about politics and social change and, you know, she wears a mask. 20 years before you finish and then boom. You with that interest, but getting the education's the American dream, and I'm that Sally <laughs> May. I want some deuces schemes. Shauna's doing so much. God bless her. <laughs> yeah. And she, so much. So, you know, so much with so little, I have to say. Right. So much and, then, and nothing yeah. at the same time. Poor baby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Mia who wants to rap, but she wants to rap about money and sex, you know, a little something fun for the summer. Um, and I feel like this has been a tension since hip hop began. How did it get boiled down to these two extremes? You know, is it a false dichotomy? 
You know, I'm going to argue that it's not just these two extremes for women uh-huh. because it's the right. argument that's always in hip hop. It's like, why we got to talk about drugs and money and yeah. sex yeah. and this and that? It's just that women get hit harder with it because the thought is that they're not supposed to talk about that at all. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the thing about hip hop is that if you go all the way back to the origins, when, you, when it was like the DJ, the MC, the B-boys and whatever, it was about boasting. It's braggadocious. Mm-hmm. So the idea that women shouldn't participate on that level right. for whatever that means to them is unfair, A. Yeah. Because this is one of the basic tenets of rap. Secondly, the idea that if women do that, mm-hmm. it must somehow be manufactured or because of the machine or their industry plant or right. it's because there's some white people in the boardroom that say we want to see women with their out. That's ridiculous. Yes. Do you think that there's pressure for on women to like go into this false dichotomy? I mean, I think people want to do what's going to sell a, but I think people also need to do what's natural to them. So the perfect example is, you know, Shauna with this mask on and trying to fit Malcolm X and Rosa Parks into rhyme and socialism into rhymes. It feels so forced. It feels forced. But that seducing scheme freestyle was flowing. <laughs> That's who she is. So I think the conversation with her and, and Mia at the bar I thought was really great because it presented both sides of this hip-hop argument, which really should have more than two sides. Hip-hop is 50 years old. It has space to be many things. <laughs> I know, and I sh- should just take a second to like clarify that this um, this conversation at the bar happened, I think in, it happens in like episode, episode two, two, I think. Yeah, yeah and Shauna and Mia are, you know, are kind of having a meeting of the minds, trying to like figure out where, if they can find a middle ground between the two things that they want, and they're having this great conversation. Get my body done, make a song about it, and boom, people start caring about my music. Is that what you think is going on? Girl? And one thing, you know, she does talk about Little Kim, you know, and, and Sean is like, you know, oh, Little Kim, the way she was used by all these producers, so on and so forth. Biggie did this to Little Kim. He made her this side chick. Then he tossed her. Um, but Mia was like, I, she, you know, she doesn't see those dudes when she sees Kim rap. Kim was a woman's fantasy. She said that girls wanted to say. Okay, maybe. And I think that's something that really gets missed in this conversation. Um, Because it's like, also like, what do black women want to see? Right. And, you know, like, we love Meg Thee Stallion, or at least I do. I do too. You know, not because she's sexy, you know, she's very sexy, but she's not sexy for men. I don't ever get that feeling. I feel like she's sexy for women. (laughs) Exactly. And that's that's the thing that people miss is that you can want to be sexy because you feel like other women need to see that, Right. And that's what I feel like with Meg. If I'd been in high school and seen Meg, that would have done so much for my own body image because of my thick thighs and my big booty. Like, I thought it was fat. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to see that, you know? Right. And people get stuck on this appearance thing. Meg, meanwhile, you know, you got guys who's like, I would, I don't want my daughter to look up to Meg. Why not? She finished college while she was on promo run for her first album after the mm-hmm. death of her mother and personal life all over the tabloids. And she's still got her degree and she's got brand deals and she's got a Popeye's franchise. And she's got, why would you not want your daughter to look up to Meg? You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Cardi is a whole married wife with two kids and businesses popping. Why would you not want your daughter to look up to Cardi? You know, so it's, it's, right. it's so superficial um it it has nothing to do with who these women are at Mm -hmm. all yeah yeah so much like respectability politics yes is what's coming into it you know and I don't 
know if it's embarrassment necessarily around Black female sexuality. It's almost like fear about like, what is it, you know, if a Black woman is out here and she's being looked upon by, you know, right. I think they're really worried about like what white people are seeing, honestly. Well, you know, it's always like white people are going to think we're out here being ridiculous or whatever. But there's also yeah. like this really faux concern about what are our children going to think? Well, what did you think when you watched Foxy and Lil' Kim? Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, 30 years <laughs> right. ago. You know, this isn't new. That's the thing that kills me is people are acting like these rappers today, no, baby, our rappers were worse. Like, you know, the <laughs> 90s were 100% worse. No, like, no, no. I listen to like Trina and Little Kim sometimes oh and I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> And y'all are freaking out about WAP? Are you kidding me right now? Like, that, right, that yeah. stunned me. I was like, what is wrong with you people? Like, did, did you just wipe your memory or something? Like, right. no, yeah. the 90s were wild. It was wild. Yeah. We had little, it was wild. like, somebody yeah. was talking about kid-friendly songs, and they were like, yeah, like, Little Vicious. <laughs> Like, have you listened to the lyrics of the song? This is who you want. This is who you're saying that your kids should be listening to. You're saying that yeah. your kids should be listening to the little boy rappers who say that Aisha gave up the cookie for a letter and some candy. That's that's what that's what you think. Right. Like, yeah. y'all just weren't paying attention. That's it. Yeah. None of this is new. None of it. None of it's new. Yeah. yeah. I think... One, I think my big question and, like, one of the questions at the heart of the show is, like, what do we want from female rappers? Like, who is we is always is also the part of the question. But, like, what do we want from Black female rappers? I think the public conversation about what Black female rappers are supposed to be is incredibly limited. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, people say, well... We want, you know, women who are talking about conscious issues and uplifting and X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. Okay, that exists. It just may not be on mainstream radio. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want and have your streams and do smaller shows, but still sell them out, build a fan base. But if you yeah. want to be a star and you want to appeal to the masses... That means that you can't be quite so niche. It's like, you know, people talk about Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill ain't changed the world. Like she changed music, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think she changed any hearts and minds per se. And also, the only reason people think Lauren wasn't overtly sexy was because Lauren was slim. If somebody of a different body type had worn the exact same clothes Lauren wore, it would have presented different. She did a lot yeah. of bra tops, halter tops, belly out, back out, arm, like all that, right? right? Short shorts. She's just slim. So it doesn't yeah. look revealing. Another example is I've literally seen men say, well, look at Missy. She never talks about sex. Missy talks about sex all the time. You all just don't time. think Missy talks about <laughs> sex because you don't think Missy is sexy. She talks about sex all the time, all, yes. every song. Jiggle, jiggle, jangle, watch how my glorious dangle. I do a Almost every song, yes. It's like, but yeah. you just aren't hearing that. Because she's a big girl. Right. Just admit that. Missy's been horny on Maine for like 30 years. Forever. Like, <laughs> <right>? Literally forever, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> the conversations about women in hip-hop aren't from an honest place. Yeah, yeah. Or a good faith place. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that it's niche to put out conscious music. You know, can we get a little bit more into that? Like, 
I mean, when I said niche, I just, I guess I meant it appeals to a specific demographic. Like, yeah. there are a lot of people out there who just have no idea who Rhapsody is. Mm-hmm. But she's been around for years. She's Grammy nominated. She's been on BT Awards, Soul Train Awards, et cetera. But she's not on radio, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's your primary method of discovery, you're not going to know who she is. You have to go look for what you want. You're fed what you already consume. You're fed mm-hmm. more like that. You want some kind of weird, like, emo, soul, hip-hop, crossover, something, something. It's there somewhere. You just got to find it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm positive it exists. You just got to find it. And you have to vote for it with your support. Mm -hmm. With your money, your actual money, too. Naima, thank you so much for this conversation. It was so great. I learned so much today. No, I appreciate it. Thanks again to music and culture journalist Naima Cochran. Rap is out now on HBO. Coming up, there's been some shakeups in the late night TV landscape, but is the format still relevant? I talk with NPR TV critic Eric Deggins. Stay with us. Just last month, two late night TV shows that many thought were finally diversifying a very white, very male space. We're canceled. Hi, welcome to Full Frontal. I'm Samantha B. Full That's Frontal with Samantha B on TBS. Welcome to Jesus and Mero. And Jesus and Mero on Showtime. They were canceled, but for very different reasons. Jesus and Mero decided they had reached the end of their creative partnership. And Samantha B's show was largely a victim of business decisions by the show's new parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery. What we're seeing is just as women and people of color are getting a little more um, space in the late night TV genre, the, the genre is contracting. That's Eric Deggins, NPR's TV critic. It's not as if the cancellations are directly connected to any kind of diversity issue, but it's creating a diversity issue anyway because, uh, of course, the first shows that are going to suffer from this are shows that maybe have smaller viewership and maybe were younger, you know, were established more recently. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like last in, first out almost. Yeah, in in a way. But it's not just these recent cancellations. Late night TV is at a crossroads. Like the rest of television, it's got to compete for attention from an audience whose viewing habits are spread out across many platforms. Streamers, YouTube, TikTok, just about everything but sitting in front of a TV at 11.30 every night. One reason why the late night genre itself is having a little bit of an existential crisis is that we're at a moment where... The, the younger audience is, is not watching linear TV anymore, and the audience that was watching Late Night is kind of aging out of it. And, and so what do these people do? Yeah. What's the future of the media? Eric wrote recently about the shakeups in Late Night TV. And it also got me thinking about the future of the medium. But first, we had to talk about what Late Night has done for comedy. One thing I was thinking about was the fact that, you know, Late Night traditionally was this place for where comedians got their start. Several people got their start in in writing rooms for late night television and that sort of thing. And now that's completely changed because if you're a comedian, the best way to get your name out there is YouTube, Twitter, 
and TikTok, it seems. Well, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, it depends on on what kind of show business you're talking about, right. you know. Okay, think, well, maybe not right the best the point, place to get your I think we're right at the point yeah. where that is where that is starting to change. But right. if you think about Tina Fey, you think about Bill Hader, you think about mm-hmm. um, you know, Conan O'Brien, they all got their start writing on Saturday Night Live. Mm. And uh, even now, you look at somebody like Amber Ruffin, who's considered uh, kind of a fresh new voice in late night TV. Well, she, you know, she was a writer on Late Night with Seth Meyers. You guys, things have been crazy. Okay, so everyone was like, COVID is slowing down. You can hang out with your friends. And I was like, what? Then Omicron hit, and they were like, stop hanging out with your friends. And I was like, what? Omicron. You know, you do have Z-Way you know, who who kind of came from social media and Lily Singh, you know, came from, mm-hmm. from YouTube. But what we're finding is that those people are having a hard time creating shows that are compelling to a, people who watch linear television. You know, they may right. be compelling in the YouTube space, but when they have to create television uh, on broadcast or cable television, it, it's it's mm-hmm. not always the easiest transition. And so I still think when somebody finally does crack this code, it'll be somebody who came mm-hmm. from a more traditional TV background, but also, you know, is conversant with, um, you know, social media and TikTok and the world of, um, you know, that kind of media. You know, when we've ta- as we've talked about late night, you've you've brought up SNL, um, and I'm I'm curious, like, what is like, what is your definition of late night, and and you know, why do those both fit in the same kind of bucket? Well, um, late night television is kind of, is more kind of a genre and a tone and an attitude rather than mm-hmm. what time the show quote unquote airs. Um, right. And, and, you know, typically a late night TV show has included someone who delivers like kind of a topical monologue joking about the news of the day or the month or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's also involved sketches um, that are sort of pop culture based and it's and it's involved sort of celebrity interviews, and mm-hmm. uh, the tone tends to be a little more adult oriented. It tends to be a little more male oriented because that has often been the target audience of these mm-hmm. shows. So you know, like a, a Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon or uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers, you know, they're targeted more towards younger males. Mm-hmm. That's why it's been so hard to diversify the late night TV talk show genre because um, mm-hmm. the people, they were hiring people to host the shows that reflected their target audience. So so that attitude, you know, when you look at Saturday Night Live, even though it's an entirely a, a sketch show, um, mm-hmm. it has that same attitude. President Bush criticized Democrats, saying they, quote, want to keep re-voting the election, but if they would listen to America, they would find that Americans want to move forward. Americans responded, saying, we do want to move forward to 2004. You know, you made the point that this space is shrinking for a lot of reasons. Um, Does that worry you in terms of opportunities for younger and more diverse talent? Yeah, I wrote a column for Mm NPR.org where I talked about um, the cancellation of Samantha Bee's show, yeah. even though these shows were going away for very specific reasons, the the end result was that we were getting less diversity in that space. And right. so it's a big concern for me because if we don't find a way to give women and people of color a shot at hosting these kinds of shows, the genre mm-hmm. may not get reinvented. 
Yeah, I'm, I, I kind of want to get you to talk about just Samantha B for, you know, a little sure. bit. What are we losing now that her show's gone away? Like, what does she bring to the format? Well, she was the most visible woman who was hosting a late night TV talk show. And when you watch right. her segments, you saw that she was very much focused on issues that affected women. So she was talking a lot right. about Um, Mm -hmm. the Roe decision and abortion rights. The decision to overturn Roe v. Wade will be devastating. 26 states will likely move to ban abortion immediately, which is a shame because the only interesting thing to do in North Dakota is get an abortion. And she was talking a lot about women in Me Too uh, in the same way Mm -hmm. that you can go to um, The Daily Show and see Trevor Noah talking about the day's events from the perspective of a non-white person. And indeed, mm-hmm. from this perspective of somebody who wasn't raised in America, you can mm-hmm. you you could go to Samantha B's show and see her talking about the news from the perspective of a woman. And mm-hmm. it, it, it may sound sort of elementary, but now we don't have that voice. You know, Amber Amber Ruffin still has her show, right. and Z-Way still has her show, but those shows have much lower viewership, and they're mm-hmm. newer. And yeah. I also kind of feel like Samantha B never really never really got the shake that she should have gotten from the TV industry. You know, mm-hmm. she was on the daily show for, um, you yeah. know, like a dozen years mm-hmm. when she left, she was the longest serving correspondent there. They didn't even pretend like they considered that she might take over for John Stewart when, yeah. he, um, when he, when he announced when his he uh, departure. Yeah. And, and she said publicly back then that that kind of hurt her. Yeah, I think that's like the next big question is what, you know, if this format goes away, like what do we lose with it? So this genre has always been um, a a great place for birthing new approaches to comedy on television and and also, you know, birthing stars. I think it's quite valuable. I think it Mm -hmm. still brings, you know, innovation to television uh, Mm -hmm. in, in, in important ways. It's all about just finding new talent and letting them spread their wings and letting them sort of approach um, the genre the way they instinctively choose to rather than trying to make them fit the mold that like somebody else did before them. I'm kind of picking up on a little bit of uh, tension here, which is that, you know, in order for the late night genre to succeed, more young people should be watching linear television but they're not. And as a result of that, more young people aren't getting a chance at a wider audiences than they would have in the past. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, well, you know, it's like how, you know, I kind of feel like when it comes to media and that kind of stuff, like the audience is going to do what it wants to do. And you can't really force the audience to make choices that they don't want to make. So I think what we really need is a talent that can reach that audience where they are that can create mm-hmm. a compelling linear show that also has offshoots that go onto social media that are successful mm-hmm. there. And, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't know where that person's going to come from or how they're going <laughs> to do it. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody could have predicted what David Letterman was going to do until, until he got late night and, and, and began doing his thing. And uh, to begin the festivities tonight, we have a little something we like to call stupid human tricks. These are uh, interesting little uh, gimmicks and uh, peculiar tricks and antics and so forth that people have been taught to do, and uh, I guess they usually do them in bars to win bets for drinks and so forth. 
we kind of have to do that. We have to find a great talent and kind of give them the tools and then let them kind of do what they do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anyone that's um, that you're keeping an eye on that you think might be able to bridge that gap? Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Amber Ruffins. I like uh-huh. what she's doing on that show. Tonight, we're going to talk about Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a holiday that commemorates the end of slavery in America. Black people celebrate by having cookouts, setting off fireworks, and of course, rubbing the Juneteenth lamp so that your wishes can be granted by the Juneteenth genie or June genie. Okay, so I made up that last one, but you might believe me because many white people don't actually know much about Juneteenth. She seems very, very careful about um, how she's extending herself. You know, she's still a writer Mm -hmm. on Seth Meyers' show, even as she's doing this show uh, once a week for for Peacock. And, you know, I do think Z-Way could be great, but I think she needs to put in a little more work to make the linear show consistently watchable. And uh, Sam Jay and and Michael Che are also really interesting figures. You know, I certainly would watch whatever they came up with. Thanks again to NPR TV critic Eric Deggins. Coming up, we play a little game called Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm your host, Tracy Hunt, and I'm here with two of my amazing colleagues from WNYC, Radio Lab editor and producer, Alex Neeson. Hey, Alex. Hi. Hi. And Janae Pierre, host of WNYC's Consider This. Hey, Tracy. Hey, Alex. Welcome. So, okay, we've called you both to test your knowledge of news and pop culture. So we're going to play a game called Who Said That? So here are the rules. I'll share a quote you might have heard in the news this week, and you guess who said it or what it's about. There are no buzzers. You can just yell out the answer. There are zero prizes, just bragging rights. (laughs) But this is still a competition, so I expect you to, like, you know, put your all into it. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. I'll try my best. All right. Um, Blank's jet is loaned out regularly to other individuals. To attribute most or all of these trips to her is blatantly incorrect. Taylor Swift. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's Janae, about Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Janae, um, yeah, I don't know if you've heard this story. Nope. Um, so Taylor Swift's representative was defending her after she became the center of a controversy this week over celebrity jets. Taylor topped a list of celebrity carbon emissions polluters. Her total flight emissions for the year came in at more than 8,000 tons. That's more than a thousand times more than the average person's total annual emissions. Yeah. So like crazy. (laughs) So the story was kind of blew up because, you know, everyone is like, okay, y'all expected me to like turn off my air conditioner, but these rich people are out here going to Whole Foods in their jets. Like what's right. going on? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the idea of my like paper straw disintegrating in oh my, my smoothie. Oh and Miss Taylor Swift took a jet to Whole Foods. <laughs> right. Okay. So next quote, what is this about? The check engine light came on, and I brought it to my mechanic who popped the hood and found chicken bones, some bread, and part of a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich just sitting there. 
Jesus and or marrow? What? <laughs> no, what is, but no, what is this about? Think New York City. Think things that scare you while you're walking down the street during the summer in New York City. Uh, Think pest. Rats? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, the is it about rodent. rats in cars? Yes. Wait, that's, Tracy, that's crazy because this week, Somebody slashed the, one of the tires on my cars, <laughs> my car this week. Uh-huh. And I called roadside and it was a guy who lives in my neighborhood. He came to put the donut on and he was like, pop your hood. And I was like, okay. So I popped the hood and there was like a little pile of just like two black um, plastic bags that you get at the bodega. Uh-huh. And he was like, there's a rat sleeping in your engine. <gasps> and I was like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And he was like, how long has your car been parked in this particular spot? And I've been on the road a lot lately. And so my car had been in that spot for like three weeks. And he was like, you got to move your car because it's just going to keep coming back. If the car is idle, they figure it out. And he was like, he's coming here and he's sleeping in here at night. (laughs) Janae, this is a thing in New York City. I I know you're kind of... I'm (laughs) noticing now, you know, like just the things they're doing to fix these issues. And I'm like, it's a real problem. Yeah. So that quote was from Jenna Carpenter Moyes, a Brooklyn resident who keeps finding rats under the hood of her car. The New York Times reported this week that over the last two years, there has been an uptick in rodents nesting under car hoods. <laughs> I say uptick because, you know, this is not a new problem for right. New York City uh, car owners. Uh, nope. But the theory is that with so many New Yorkers buying cars during the pandemic and rodents who lost access to food sources during shutdowns, the rats went out and now they're just finding a home sweet home in people's cars. Wow, the rats were basically priced out. <laughs> the rats were priced Everybody out of their eat. neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And they are gentrifying your cars now. <laughs> well, we've seen this, right? We've seen this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so um, this is a final quote, and it's a tweet. So it's just somebody tweeting, so I need you to tell me who this is about. Okay. My hips don't lie, but my taxes do. Is it Khalees? Shakira. Shakira! Oh, Shakira. <laughs> somebody with hips. I mean, you know. <laughs> but wait, what's, what's the context of that? Shakira lying on her taxes? Oh, yeah. Doesn't she owe like $15 million or something? She does owe a lot of money. Yes. To Spain. (laughs) She does owe a lot of money. (laughs) Correct. Um, This tweet is one of many in response to news that pop star Shakira may be facing prison time for tax fraud. Prosecutors in Spain are charging her with failing to pay the Spanish government $15 million in taxes between 2012 and 2014. They're asking for a sentence of eight years and two months in prison if she is convicted in her expected trial. A date has not been set. Eight years. Wow. That's crazy. I'm sad for my girl, but also you got to have better financial people in your circle. Yes. (laughs) What's going on? Shakira. Girl. There was also another tweet where somebody was like, on one hand, I don't like it when celebrities avoid their taxes. On the other hand, I don't have a problem with Shakira stealing money from the Spanish government. It seems like reparations. Listen, I was about to say. Let's go. There's some some, like cosmic uh, satisfaction here with like not paying taxes to the colonizer. I'm like, you know, (laughs) I can see that. (laughs) I'm not as bothered. (laughs) You're just not as bothered. Yeah, same here. I'm not. I want to be. I want to feel like 
No, I'm not bothered. I can't even pretend. Mm. Can't even pretend. <laughs> I, the righteous and outrage is just not within me to come out. I'll say that, like, I knew that because hips don't lie. Like, I knew that was Shakira, but I was not aware that she was in some, like, tax trouble this particular okay. week. So I'm going to split say this that. in half this point. So, Janae, you get half a point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a point five. Uh, but Alex, you still won with two and a half points, and Janae, Woo. you got half a point. So you got Thank on the you. board, Janae, and you you know you deserve credit for that. Thank you. I was you know I was just trying to be on. I also held on to Khalees because I thought you know a question may have appeared about Beyonce's oh, yeah. Renaissance album. So I just held on to Khalees mm-hmm. for the. You know what, Khalees was one of the finalists for who said that this week, and. Um, and I felt protective of Khalees because I feel like people are like dragging yeah. her so much, and I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to unintentionally continue the yeah. drags. Yeah, we didn't want to contribute to the noise because <laughs> I didn't want to contribute Khalees. to the noise of of Khalees. a visionary. Yes, a vis- absolutely, absolutely. All right, thank you so much, Janae, Alex. Um, thank you so much for playing. This is so much fun. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me, Tracy. This was great. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Andrea Gutierrez, Liam McBain, and Janet Ujong Lee. Engineering support came from Hannah Glovna, Natasha Branch, and Stu Rushfield. Our intern is Ahianeta Aragon. Our editors are Jessica Placek and Jessica Mendoza. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguene. And our big boss is NPR Senior Vice President of Programming, Anya Grunman. All right, thanks for listening. I'm Tracy Hunt. Take care.